Anderson. Hits it in the air to right. Back at the wall, and the White Sox win it. Sox win. Welcome back. This is the Feeling Soxy Clint Klaus Show. Welcoming you to another fantastic week with fantastic White Sox talk. And we have a lot to get to. I mean, it was a pretty, I guess you would say, impressive week for the White Sox as they are currently still in action right now. And by the looks of it, they're probably going to split the Astros. They're losing 12-4 to right now. But, I mean, best case scenario is that they came away with a split against Probably the best team in the American League. I would probably say they are probably the favorite to go to the World Series out of the AL. Sorry, Mark, and your Yankees are garbage. Just had to mention that out. So, I mean, to open it up, I mean, because I highly doubt that they're going to come back in these next three innings down eight runs. But I think overall, the, the question has been has been asked, is this the run that we were waiting for for our Chicago White Sox? They were on a five-game winning streak and, by the looks of it, are going to end the homestand with a 5-2 and two record, which is pretty impressive, which is very good, to say the least, seeing as how they've been so bad at home throughout most of this year where they have most of their, their most inconsistent performances, honestly, at home. Well, now it's 13-4 to four now, 13-4 Astros, and we'll, we'll talk more about this game. Probably won't do a whole lot of talking about it because, I mean, there's not really... A whole lot to talk about in this last game, but we, oh my gosh, but this week of White Sox baseball, the Astros coming into town, you know that it's going to be a huge series. I mean, you're talking about a measuring stick series against, as I mentioned, the best team in the American League. You're also having your best starter facing against their best, Dylan Cease and Justin Verlander. We'll get into the recap of Tuesday night's game, but as we enter the first game of the series. Before we do that, we also will do a preview of the Bears preseason game. Not really a whole lot to get into with that. We'll also get into a little bit of Notre Dame football. Not really a whole lot of news coming out of Notre Dame camp. So as I kind of teased before, before I went off and gave you what's going on with the rest of the show, the White Sox as currently are losing 13 to four have split against the Houston Astros. And I know what you're going to say. I know we've talked about how splits are not, are, haven't really been, we talked about before how this team has just every four game series. It seems like they're just going for a split. I feel like this is a different split than the one they had against the Texas Rangers where, because one, they're playing a much better team, a more playoff experienced team, best team in the AL whereas when they played Texas they were facing guys who had ERAs of six at home and somebody who hadn't won since April but besides the fact but that's besides the fact so this is a huge series coming in because obviously you had the sweep of the Tigers and you want to keep that good momentum going I mean you had your first three game winning streak and they were four games above 500 for the first time since I think they were six and two, like eight games into the season. Like it t- that's how inconsistent this White Sox team has been throughout the year that they are. Well, now it's probably going to change now that they're losing this game, but you wanted to keep the good momentum going. You wanted to try and keep some momentum. And with the Astros coming to town, you knew it wasn't going to be easy. You knew. And I even mentioned it before in the preview that one of these games, the Astros are going to flex their muscles and just score a bunch of runs. 
Well, it turns out that it's the game going on right now. But in terms of the rest of the series, you can't help but be overly impressed by their effort, their hustle. Obviously, that's been the big talk is did the White Sox get their fire back? Did the White Sox get their fire back? Because they won these first two games against the Houston Astros in really improbable of ways. We'll get into both of those games. But obviously, the big talk around the White Sox has been they're playing better baseball. The baseball has been a little bit better as of late. The bats are better. The off the plate appearances or the approaches at the plate, mind you, have been a lot better. You know, you see guys generating not as many walks, but they're still generating the walks. You know, they're coming up, they're coming up clutch. Their pitching has been just amazing. And even during this five game homestand, I think they should or seven game homestand in which they went five and two. I think they should be overly, I guess, very impressed by, well, I wouldn't. I think overall you have to come away with being pleased that they came away with a winning homestand, which I can't even remember the last time they actually had one where it was five and two. When was the last five and two homestand they had? I mean, most of the time they have their worst offensive performances of the entire season at home. But as we open up with the, first game against the Houston Astros you had a very tough customer Johnny Cueto was on the mound and he was going up against Jose Urquidy a guy who who they got 100k from out of the Mexican league so just a little interesting backstory with him the first inning it did not seem like it was going to be a very good series from the start it was not looking overly positive the Astros got two runs Josh Harrison had a bad bounce on a ball that would have been a double play. The Astros ended up getting two more runs in, got two more runs, and that would be all the runs that they would score in that first game because of one, one Johnny Cueto, the number one pitcher on the podcast. Johnny Cueto, I mean, Cueto Nation has just been absolutely sensational. I mean, it's a godsend. I mean, who would have thought that, we would get to this point in the season where we would say that we trust Johnny Cueto more than we trust Lucas Giolito. Well, we're certainly at that point of the season right now, and it's becoming a reality. I mean, Johnny Cueto, after giving up those two runs, pitched seven shutout innings the rest of the way. And as we mentioned before, Cueto's not doing it with a overpowering fastball. He's being crafty, throwing guys off. And he was doing that very same thing against the Astros. I mean, he dominated them in Houston earlier in the season when they squared off. I mean, 7 nothing. he just was mowing through that lineup, and he was doing it again to that on Monday. He was doing it again on Monday. He was very, very impressive. I mean, you you have to really love what you're seeing out of Johnny Cueto. I mean, he basically woke this team up. I don't know if we've mentioned it before, but Cueto obviously had the the interview after one of the games where they lost to the Royals, and he said, you know, we got to see if we still have that fire, if we have some. Well, it looks like it's generated into that clubhouse because they are playing much more harder in these last five, six, seven games or so than I would say that they have had in probably most of the season where it seemed like most of the time, and they've even admitted to this, the White Sox players have even admitted to this, that sometimes they just come out and they're complacent. They come out and they just roll out of bed and just think that they can win win a bunch of games. 
that they could just roll out of bed and win games and act like that they have won the World Series, where in reality, they've only won two playoff games and are have really accomplished nothing. But I digress with that. Johnny Cueto woke this team up. I mean, he basically was out on the mound, pitching his nuts off. It didn't, it obviously, it seemed like it was going to be one of those games where the offense was just going to be flat. And at that point, and at one point, it looked like it was going to be that way. The offense was getting no hits or, well, they were getting hits. They, they weren't getting on base a lot. It looked like it was a flat performance against Jose Urquidy, but they were able to persevere. They were able to persevere. You get to that eighth inning. Cueto gives you eight strong innings after giving up those two runs. As I mentioned, Johnny Cueto might have saved the season. I mean, you might have to, uh, have to think about making him the manager since he is probably the only guy since he was the guy who woke the team up. And look, granted, Johnny Cueto has been here before. Johnny Cueto has been on playoff teams. He's been on winning teams. He knows what winning teams look like. And I think that was something that this team really needed was a, a really a, a kick in the ass. And many people are saying, not me, but they think that the podcast might have woke them up because since we released the podcast one week ago, where we accused the White Sox of ruining the podcast and declaring that we will no longer talk about them. So five and two record, five and two record. I know I've gone off the rails a little bit on this podcast, but I do want to say, I mean, a five and two record since we said, since we accused them and called out the entire organization. So I'm not saying that I'm taking a hundred percent of the credit, but I think you, you know, you, you kind of got to wonder if somebody's listening to the, to the Toxie podcast in there and they, and they got threatened by the idea of me talking about more football than White Sox. But now we get to the finale. I know I've kind of went on a little little bit of a rampage, but no, they're trailing 2 nothing. Johnny Cueto just absolutely dominate. And then you get to that eighth inning. First two guys get out. First two guys get out in three pitches. And they were very solid hits. I mean, Gavin Sheets hit it right at a guy. And I think, I believe it was Larry Garcia, same, same deal, hit it right to the third baseman, Alex Bregman. But... They were able to fight back. A.J. Pollock gets that infield hit. Andrew Vaughn gets a double to drive him over. And I don't know how A.J. Pollock did not score on that play, but it was also a pretty smart idea by Joe McEwing not to send him with Aloy coming up. And, I mean, my guy Aloy, I mean, he this guy is one of the most consistent dudes in the lineup, and half of the fan base wants to trade him because they can't take him in left field. But they'll take that 310 batting average that he has right now he and that game and that game tying RBI double he had and then this led to a very famous incident where if you guys have not paid attention to the internet there was a video that went viral and this was when Adam Engel came into pinch run for Aloy Jimenez cuz there was there was a bit of like a delay between the pitch con between the Astros and then once they kind of got that figured out that was when Tony Larusa went out to the mound and and base or not out to the mound, but he stopped time, and he let Adam Engel in there. Well, ba- basically the the video was a fan being like, "Hey Tony, get Engel in there. Hey Tony, get Engel in there." Like he was kind of by the White Sox dugout, and this guy's trying to take credit for Tony Larusa's decisions. And I mean, Tony Larusa obviously was very funny about it when he was asked about it the very next day, but it was also one of those funny things in a season that has presented us many, many funny moments that have involved Tony La Russa. Also a lot of very infuriating moments that make you want to bash your head against the wall. But I digress. I mean, he makes that decision. Now, Aloy would have scored or Adam Engel would have scored because 
I mean, he didn't really have to bust his butt because there was an intentional walk of Jose Abreu and then Yasmani Grandal, who I know he has been brutal. He still is a little bit brutal at the plate. I mean, he's still batting under 200. He doesn't even think about swinging at a pitch. He takes a full a full count walk, and then that sets up for Yoan Mankata. Now, Yoan Mankata has been the bane of my existence and a lot of other White Sox fans, not because he is bad, he's underachieved, but it's because we know how good he can be. And we've seen how good he can be, how good of a hitter he can be. We have seen it time and time again. And so far this year, we have just not seen it so far, whether it's been he's been out with an injury or, you know, at times it looks like he just looks uninterested. I know his play at third base is absolutely stellar. I think he is one of the more underrated third basemen of the Major League Baseball season, and that's because his bat's not really playing. But, I mean, he had probably the biggest hit of the his entire season so far. Well, now I say that. I say so far, but a little bit of a preview of the no- game number two. But Mankata gets that hit, drives in two runs. I also have to admit the prima donna nickname has been dropped. It has officially been dropped. I, I kind of made an arrangement when I was watching that play. I said, you know, if Mankata gets the hit right here, if he gets the hit right here to win the game, then I will drop the prima donna name, and he did it the very next pitch. So it is destiny. Prima donna Mankata is no more. He is back to being regular Yoan Mankata. And gosh, we certainly did miss the real Yoan Mankata because the guy that has been here for most of the season, I know he's had a rough year, but I mean, to get that big of a hit in that moment, you know, you got to feel for Yoan Mankata, especially since he's kind of been, as I mentioned before, um, number one on a lot of White Sox fans' uh, shit list in terms of the lack of hustle as he has been the poster boy of guys who seem like that they don't really hustle. Well, I've seen a different attitude with this White Sox team the last couple of days, and you could kind of see it too with their effort in this series against the Houston Astros, and it was full-on display in that first game because they were down 2 nothing. I mean, let's talk, let's be honest. I mean, these this game, and I guess we'll, we'll talk about the, the second game, those games where they had another comeback, both of those games are losses earlier in the year. Those are games that they probably lose 2 nothing, 2-1, two to one, or 3-2. to two. Those are games that they end up inevitably losing early in the season. Now, that was early on in the season. They were able to close the door, get the 1-2-3, get a big first win. I mean, that was a huge first win for a team that desperately needed it. I mean, all of these games are big games going forward for our Chicago White Sox. But this was a big one, especially against a team that, especially against a team and a bullpen, quite frankly, that has been really good. I mean, the Astros are first in bullpen ERA in Major League Baseball. Their top their pitching staff in terms of bullpen is top 5 in ma- in every major category. ERA, strikeouts, innings pitched. Like it's, you know, you go down the list of things that they are number 1 in for their bullpen and it's it's pretty astonishing just by how good their bullpen has been. I mean, they re- they really are a team that doesn't have a whole lot of weaknesses on the entire roster. I mean, you can't really say that about a whole lot of major league teams, but you can say that about the Houston Astros. So that first win that they were able to get four to two was the winner. And then that led to the big pitching showdown 
on Tuesday night. You had Justin Verlander. You had Dylan Cease. You had two of the top guys who are projected to win the Cy Young. Probably the top two candidates to win the Cy Young. I mean, Dylan Cease, we've mentioned it before, how phenomenal he's been all year. Should have been an all-star over Nestor Cortez, but... That's uh, a different topic for a different day. I mean, Verlander's been very good, too. I mean, what he is doing at the age of 39, coming off of Tommy John surgery, is nothing short of sensational. And for the most part, he was doing very well in shutting down the White Sox bats on Tuesday night. They had an opportunity to put on some runs very early in that game. They had the bases loaded, one out. And quite frankly, this entire series, they've had Plenty of opportunities to add on and score a couple more runs. They have just um, not been able to come up with that clutch hit in some of these games. Two of these games, they were able to get them. So going into that game, they had the bases loaded, one out. Lenin Sosa, who, by the way, I've had enough of watching watching Lenin Sosa play baseball. Just send him back to the minors. He's completely overmatched. He doesn't look like he belongs. I'd rather just see Leary Garcia in there, even though he just got put on the injured list. But, I mean, Lenin Sosa got overmatched. It was one nothing early, and then really the floodgates kind of opened up. Well, not really, but Dylan Cease wasn't really sharp in his game against the Astros. He didn't really have good command of his fastball. So if you don't really have good command of your fastball, which is what Steve Stone has mentioned on the broadcast, you have to really rely a lot of your off-speed pitches. And I feel like he did a good job of really kind of holding – holding the Houston Astros bats in check. If Andrew Vaughn catches a fly ball in right field, the Astros don't even get three runs, which was basically where all of their runs kicked in was that one inning where Andrew Vaughn just misplaced the ball. If he catches that, that's the third out of the inning. And then you probably, and then Dylan Cease probably pitches one more inning going into the sixth inning. Instead, he gets taken out after five innings has a couple walks, not really a big strikeout performance for Cease. But again, Second night in a row, this team was down 3-1. They were down 3-1 going into the seventh inning. Then you have two guys on. And how about the walk by Sebi Zavala, who really set up the Gavin Sheets RBI triple that scored two runs. I mean, that was a good piece of hitting by Gavin Sheets going up against Verlander. He tried to jam him inside. He was able to pull the ball down the right field line and really tie, tie the game up. Really a, a big hit for Gavin Sheets, who was... Five for 11 this year in pinch hit opportunities. So if you need a big pinch hit, just go and rely on Gavin Sheets and maybe not stick him in the outfield with Andrew Vaughn. But, I mean, obviously that's a different topic for a different day. But, I mean, that's a huge hit for Gavin Sheets. I mean, and he even mentioned after the game, you know, people talk about the fire. This team certainly showed that they had no quit. And then in the eighth inning, I mean, you have, you have Yoel Moncada coming up again. You know, he had the clutch hit the night before, and I said, well, you want to really – you really want the prima donna nickname dropped? Do it again. And guess what? He did it again two nights in a row, a 4-3 White Sox winner. They were able to slam the door on the Houston Astros, and they guaranteed a split, guaranteed a split, which is huge and something that, you know, when you're going up against a good caliber team like the Houston Astros – I know you don't want any moral victories, but if you want to look at some sort of moral victory in that, it is that they were able to split the series. I also, you want to look at the pitching side of things. I mean, the the Astros scored, they have 13 runs right now. They scored eight runs in the first three games. So I think you have to give a ton of credit to the White Sox starting pitchers, even though Kopech, as we go into, I didn't, we head into game three with Michael Kopech on the mound. 
as obviously Kopech was looking to take a, another step in the right direction. And this game Wednesday night against the Astros was one pretty much based off of Kopech just not paying attention to the bases. First inning, Jose Altuve walks, and then he steals second base. He steals third. without And Kopech, I, he's just going to have to work on trying to get like a slide step in the offseason. That would probably be the one thing that I would think he has to work on because these guys are running all over him. Like Jose Altuve just stealing two bases right off the bat, and then that ends up being the deciding run of the, the entire game because they ended up scoring two runs. Kopech did a phenomenal job of really holding down the load. I mean, the Astros scored a couple of times. They made it 3 nothing, and then the White Sox got it to within 3-2, had the bases loaded with nobody out, and then Josh Harrison hit into a double play. And then they had a number of opportunities where they threatened. But Framer Valdez, who was the starter for the Houston Astros, was very tough. He also leads Major League Baseball in double plays. He had like four double plays that bailed him out of many different jams where the White Sox would have the first guy on, then next guy hits into a double play. Or they get the first two guys on, and then the next guy strikes out, and the next guy hits into a double play. I mean, the defense for the Houston Astros was very good for that game three. I mean, you talk about Alex Bregman, just he was a just a vacuum over at third base. He was driving me nuts with all the amount of balls that he was saving from going into left field. I mean, I hate Alex Bregman. I hate the Houston Astros, but they are really good. I mean, that that's really all it is. I mean, the White Sox had an opportunity in the eighth inning. Mankata had a chance to do it again. I mean, you're not always going to come up clutch Every single time, I mean, Mankata struck out. But, I mean, we give him the benefit of the doubt. Yasmani Grandal, I mean, you you just suck. Like, you just, you suck. Like, I think everybody in this fan base is done with watching Yasmani Grandal just waste away and being a guaranteed out every single time. Popped up back to the catcher. Popped up back to the catcher. You are a bum, Grandal. You basically killed the rally. I mean, you are the ultimate rally killer. It seems like every time, every time this year, there would be a situation where we're in a rally. We have either the game-winning runner on second base or he's on first base, and then Yasmani Grandal hits up and hits a weak little dribbler to the first baseman or he pops up, can't even make it out of the infield. Like, when are the White Sox going to come to the realization that Yasmani Grandal is probably not good anymore? Like, why are we subjecting ourselves to watching Yasmani Grandal and then you have like socks on 35th, like they do that little thing for Moneyball where he's like, he gets on base. He gets on base. Yeah, because he can't hit the ball. He can only walk to get on base because he can't hit a bowl. He can't hit a cigarette. He can't hit shit. So they ended up losing that game 3-2. to two. I mean, another game that they probably should have won. And then um, I don't think we're going to do a whole lot of talking about the game that's going on right now. I mean, it was 10 nothing after four innings. I mean, Lucas Giolito... I think we have to have a conversation about Lucas Giolito. And I teased it earlier in the podcast where I trust Johnny, where if you would have told me by August that I would trust Johnny Cueto before I would trust Lucas Giolito, I would think that there's something seriously wrong. And I honestly think something seriously long, wrong with Lucas Giolito because, I mean, I don't trust the guy anymore. I cannot trust him time and time again when he has pitched against these premier opponents. He implodes. Every single time, like Lucas Giolito is losing. Like I've lost my trust in Lucas Giolito. Like, like how are we supposed to rely on him when every other time that he's coming out, 
He's given up. He had seven runs in three plus innings today. He was dog shit today. And then they just threw out Vince Velasquez to just save some arms out in the bullpen. Cause I mean, why not? Why not? I mean, if you're going to have somebody to throw out to the sacrificial lambs, I mean, it's not, it doesn't help that Lucas Giolito was already losing six or seven or eight to nothing when they finally pulled him from the game. Like that was absolutely pathetic. Lucas Giolito. Like, I don't know what's going on with you, but they were like trying to do like they they had a graphic up. This this goes to show you just how bad Lucas Giolito has been this year. They pulled up a graphic. The graphic was like, oh, this is Lucas Giolito in his first like twelve starts. He had an ERA of over five, and then they're like, his last nine starts, he has an ERA of like four something. It's like that's not that much better. Like they're trying to make it seem like that he had like a four that he's saving himself four runs an opportunity every time he's out. Like Lucas Giolito is becoming a problem. He is untrustworthy. I would not have this guy in the playoff rotation. Like how can you have this guy continuously time and time again, blow opportunities and just let the team down nine times out of 10 where he's going out there and he's getting shit pumped by whoever is the opposer. Whether it's the Houston Astros, who are the best team in baseball, or it's the Colorado Rockies, who get three quick runs off of them. Like, this is a Lucas Giolito problem. I don't know what's going on with him. And it's a shame, because this podcast has really gone to bat for him nine times out of ten. But now, I mean, I've had enough with him. This guy stinks. Send him and Grandal, who are free agents after next year, just buy him out and DFA him. Well, maybe not, not, maybe a little bit radical, but... I mean, at this point, these guys aren't good anymore. This isn't 2020 anymore. Like, these guys are not good anymore. Now, that doesn't mean that Giolito can't turn it around. That doesn't mean Grandal can't turn it around. But until I see it, I'm not going to believe in them. Like, I don't believe in Lucas Giolito anymore. How, how hard is that to morally accept that Lucas Giolito is the worst pitcher in the White Sox rotation right now? Who, who would have imagined that? Like, that's that's just the way it is right now. He kind of, he stinks. He stinks, and quite frankly, who knows if he'll ever even be good again. So they're losing this game 13-5. to The one thing I could take away is they didn't give up down 10 nothing. Now, they it didn't help that the Houston Astros scored three more runs after going up 10 nothing. but, you know, the fire is there. The fire is there with this team. You can tell. I mean, it's not... They're not always going to be generating wins, even though I would love for them to come back and win this game. It's very unlikely to happen, but you know you have, really have to like the fire and the tenacity. You feel like this team has kind of woken up, or at least you hope that they have woken up some, because you have forty some amount of games left. Let's go out there and try and win these games. Like it's not like that. It's impossible to go out and win the Central. But you have to stop beating yourself. You have to be able to come back in these games. Like, you can't have performances like what happened with Lucas Giolito today where he just completely implodes and is now the most unreliable starting pitcher in the White Sox rotation. Like, how? that's sad. It's sad that Lucas Giolito sucks now. Like, honestly. And another point in the fact is the White Sox have had their season high in walks. They've had eight walks today, and they're losing 14 to 5. That's not good. That's not good. Lucas Giolito, you let the team down again, again. How many more times can you let us down? How many more times, man? Like we're in a pennant race. You're supposed to be our ace. And I'm being sarcastic when I say that. But I mean, you 
You suck. Nobody trusts you anymore. I don't even trust you just to win us a game against the fucking Diamondbacks, let alone against the Houston Astros. Like, you're, I'm not going to say you're cooked, but, I mean, Grandal's cooked. Like, you, you might as well should just DFA him and just let him go off into the sunset and hang out with Dallas Keuchel in Arizona, and they can just go hang out with Dallas Keuchel and reminisce of how good their 2020 seasons were. So that is the recap of the Houston Astros series. Obviously, this game is probably going to be a uh, it's going to end in a split. But as I mentioned before, you came away with the split against the Astros, which I think is as big of a, uh, you know, you come away with a huge, I guess, moral victory. I, I would say a huge moral victory, even though I don't really like moral victories, but we knew the Astros are going to flex their muscles. As I mentioned in the previous podcast in the preview, you know, they're doing it in this game, but I mean the two other games, I mean, Moncada's back-to-back walk-offs were probably the entire moments of the season. I consider them the two biggest wins of the season so far. And you just hope that they continue to just ride that good momentum and just keep that fire burning, keep that fire burning. Don't quit in these games. Keep that fire burning. Don't quit. Everybody pick each other up. And a lot of people have mentioned the, oh, well, that's a three-run homer. 17-5 to five now is the score. I mean, I guess good for you, Houston. I mean, you you scored eight runs in three games. So, I mean, I guess good for you guys that you, that you, pretty, that you pretty much uh, scored 17 runs against Vince Velasquez and Jose Ruiz, who are two pretty bad pitchers. So, I guess good for you guys, but I mean, you still cheated to win the World Series in 2017. So that was the recap of the Astros series. As I mentioned before, you know, Moncada's walk off as he will be our recipient of the White Sox game ball of the week. I also have to mention these Moncada stats. You know, he has a 900 OPS with runners in scoring position. He also has a over a thousand OPS with runners in scoring position and two outs in high leverage situation. So Yoan Mankata has been clutch as of late. He hit a three-run homer in this game. Yoan Mankata has had a very, very good series driving in those two game-winning hits. I mean, we would be crazy to not give him the game ball. We would be crazy not to give him the game ball. So we're giving it to Yoan Mankata. I'm also giving it to the three starting pitchers who are not named Lucas Giolito and Michael Kopech, Dylan Cease, and, of course, Johnny Cueto. I mean, Johnny Cueto just deserves just a... a a bag of game balls because he has been the best pitcher on the team. I love Johnny Cueto. He has basically woken this team up by basically saying, you guys have no fire. Do you guys have any fire left? I mean, yeah, they're showing it. I mean, maybe not in this game because they're losing 17 to five, but, but you have to be overly impressed. So game balls to the starting pitchers, Cueto, Cease and Kopech, even though Kopech didn't necessarily get the win, the offense um, kind of, didn't didn't have one more in him. I mean, I thought Aloy just missed hitting a two-run homer that would have won them the game on Thursday or Wednesday. But you know, you have to be, you have to take a, a moral victory with this one because this next series is a big one. I mean, I would make the argument this is the biggest series of the entire season. This is do or die. You're going into Cleveland, and they're going to be throwing two of their best pitchers against you. And you know what? We're going to be doing the exact same thing. Friday, Lance Lynn versus Tristan McKenzie. Tristan McKenzie has just absolutely revitalized. I mean, he has just been a revelation for the Guardians this year. And then Saturday, you talk about Cueto versus Shane Bieber. I mean, everybody knows how much we have struggled against Shane Bieber. We've struggled against Tristan McKenzie this year. 
and then you have Dylan Cease going on Sunday. I you you have to take two out of three. You have to take two out of three if that fire is still there. And I'm saying this right now. If that fire is still there, and it doesn't, hopefully they can still still have that fire, even though they got they're getting whooped in this game. You hope that they still have that fire because if we're going, if we're doing this podcast on Sunday and we're recapping a sweep where they get swept by the Guardians, or so yeah, go go to Cleveland, take two out of three, take two out of three. If that fire's still there, take two out of three. This is the biggest series of the season so far. You only have six games left against the Guardians, and this team is eight and five against you. You go five and one, four and two, and you put a dent into their lead in the American League Central. It's still right there because you only have so many games left against the Guardians. You have to beat them. You have to beat them. And when you play them, you have to stop beating yourselves. No mental errors. We cannot have those happen in this series. Very important. A little jazzed up about that one. Before we get into the Bears preview of their preseason game against the Seahawks, we should mention that the White Sox are expected to sign shortstop Elvis Andrews, who was just released by the Oakland A's. Now, granted, Elvis Andrews is, uh, you know, you look at this and it's a typical, I guess, um, move of this guy was good like 10 years ago, but now we're going to sign. Now we're going to bring him in because he's, it's one of those typical, you would look at it and say, well, this is a typical Kenny Williams move, but obviously they needed help at the shortstop position. He'll definitely fill the need. I mean, you look at Lenin Sosa play and we mentioned it. We mentioned him earlier in the podcast. It's so brutal watching Lenin Sosa play baseball, watching him boot balls. Romy Gonzalez looks a little bit overmatched. So you're bringing in a veteran presence to kind of stabilize the uh, infield a bit. It, you know, Andrews is a former gold glove winner. He was obviously a former great shortstop of yesteryear. You hope he has a little bit left in the tank. I mean, especially with Tim Anderson probably going to miss the at least a good chunk of September. Who knows when he'll be back? I mean, you know, you, you hope that it's sometime soon, but at least with Andrews in there, they have a veteran presence that is a reliable, I guess, I guess you could say reliable. He could play every day and he won't, he won't make a, I, I guess he'll make a couple bonehead plays because everybody does, but it won't be as brutal as watching Leary Garcia or Lenin Sosa or Roman Gonzalez out there at shortstop. No disrespect to those guys, but they're just not good players. I mean, Lenin Sosa looks completely overmatched. We mentioned before, I mean, Romy Gonzalez is only here because Leary Garcia just got hurt as he was put on the injury list. So that was also another reason as to why Elvis Andrews was signing. So um, I, I, hopefully it works. I mean, you don't really know. Hopefully he stabilizes the position, but he'll only be on the team for like a month. We're going to now transition to the gridiron. We're going to do a small a small little preview of the Bears preseason game that's about to that's going to kick off in a couple hours on ESPN. I mean, how about ESPN does not? I thought Joe Buck was going to call the game and shout out ESPN, basically not sending out their A team to the Seahawks Bears. I mean, Drew Locke's not going to be playing. The starters aren't going to be playing a whole lot, so you're not going to really. So if you're going to watch this preseason game, just watch like you'll probably be only watching like a quarter, which is probably what I'll be doing. Maybe you'll see who's going to be like the guy who like makes the roster at the end of the season. But I mean, it's going to be 
one of those preseason games. Obviously, preseason games you only you kind of pick and choose what you what you like. I mean, obviously, you hope Justin Fields looks good in the one series that he plays in, and you, you know he just doesn't get hurt. You just hope guys don't get hurt. That first team offensive line. What does the offensive line look like? Who are the starters for that? I think it's going to be very telling. I think that's one thing I'm looking out at as, you know, is this second game going to be a preview of what the opening day offensive line looks like? I think those are some questions that are definitely going to need to be asked and they will definitely be answered. I mean, obviously, Tevin Jenkins is inside guard where we want to see how he looks inside the guard and whether he has a spot to be a starter. I mean, second round pick. I mean, one of Ryan Pace's last last uh, terrible second round picks, or actually we can't really say he's terrible, but he hasn't played a whole lot, but you know, obviously back injuries come after he got drafted. There was kind of a red flag of injuries with his back. So he has a lot to prove and he'll probably see a good majority of snaps in this first game of whether he's going to be the starting right guard, because right now, I mean, he's going to have a hard time trying to crack it. Nobody's going to give him anything. And that's probably why, he hasn't been as, you know, the first like two weeks of or cap or like what, what's going on with Tevin Jenkins. And then it was reported that Tevin Jenkins was immature and he wasn't getting along with the coaches. Well, that's probably because the coaches weren't going to hand him anything. I mean, just because you're a Ryan Pace second round pick doesn't mean that you deserve anything handed out to you. I mean, think about what other Ryan Pace second round picks have done. I mean, look at Adam Shaheen. I mean, he, he basically got put on IR after the Dolphins tried to trade him. So, I mean, that's something else that I'm going to be looking for, obviously, with some rookies. Kyler Gordon is expected to make his Bears preseason debut. You want to see what Jaquan Brisker looks like. Again, second game in a row. So, I mean, it's just a little bit of a couple tidbits here and there. So, you know, you you just look for uh, some things to kind of be impressed with. And we will definitely give you a recap of the Bears preseason game. Obviously, no Notre Dame news, if anything really sort of breaks out of that. We will have that on Sunday's podcast when we do the Guardians recap. I guess uh, what we'd like out of the Seahawks, Bears-Seahawks game, even though they're probably not going to be playing a whole lot. And then if something breaks with Notre Dame, which, I mean, the biggest news for Notre Dame is whether they're going to be joining a conference. And whether that's the case, we will be here for the Feeling Soxy podcast. I also want to thank you guys for listening to this production as, as we wrap up. This week's podcast, and with a very positive note, your Mankata, I'm sorry that I called you Prima Donna. I know it's it's hard because I gave you that nickname, but we have officially dropped the nickname. Is your Mankata officially back? We don't know. Is this White Sox team officially back? We don't know, and quite frankly, we should just take this game to game, not look ahead, but game to game, we have to take care of business against the Guardians, and who knows, maybe... Maybe when we're doing this podcast, this team is maybe in first place. I mean, I'm not going to no, – let's not jinx anything. Let's not jinx anything, not make any crazy predictions. But let's see where we are next week, and hopefully it's in a very good spot. Thank you for joining and listening to this Klaus House production by Clint Klaus, the Feeling Soxie, Clint Klaus Show. Thank you for listening.